Spring forward at Banana Republic Factory with 50 to 70% off everything. Shop season favorites from colorful dresses to easy tops from $19.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Shop 50 to 70% off almost everything at Gap Factory. Get 60% off select jeans and dresses. Shop the sale through March 28th at Gap Factory and GapFactory.com. This is Dr. Mariah White, host of Your Life Matters. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Everybody, it is No Filter Friday and Public House Media, and I am sitting here with my old friend <laughs> from a million years ago, who was now a sex therapist. Do you remember we did a photo shoot for IGN? Yeah, that was a, a long f- time ago. Billion, <laughs> billion. A years different ago. time. It was a different time. It was definitely a different time. Those pictures still survive though. Like they're and still they're good out. pictures. They are. They're, they're very nice. Yeah. They're still in Google to this day. Yeah, but that's you know we were just talking about that's like the pre-social media. It was a different time. It was at that time. I'm really glad that we were able to do that at this time. That time back then, yeah. where now it's just a different world with, mm-hmm. with those types of things. But that was a really fun shoot. It was. Yeah. It was. It was a great. That was the only time I've ever seen a scorpion in LA. Oh, it was at the house. At the house? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was a dead one, and a bee was eating it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> huh. A weird thing to remember, but that shoot was kind of interesting though because I think my friend called me like months later. He's like, "Oh, you were in G4 TV today." I was like, "No, mm-hmm. I've never worked with them." And he was like, "No, you're on, you're on it today." There's a like, lot of um, connection with the IGN and the video game industry yeah. and like kind of nerd culture because I did some other stuff in that kind of geek nerd culture video game world back then yeah. where they were kind of collaborating with like sexy girls but yeah. also nerd culture and um, I actually heard recently this is interesting I don't know if you know anything about this that some of the like geek nerd tech conventions have stopped using booth babes <gasps> why you know this is just something somebody told me the other day and I was thinking that's really interesting because they were really pushing like sexuality and girls and it became more about that and taking pictures with sexy girls than, yeah. than the technology and I'm, I don't actually know anything besides what a friend of mine told me that um, is in the video game tech industry but it's it's an interesting concept to think well what was the purpose of that and you know we worked jobs like that yeah a decade ago or whatever and I was happy to get the checks that put me through school but looking at the culture of that and what are we really promoting and what message are we really saying um is really interesting total I I heard something similar about like the national dart league or whatever Mm -hmm. like the televised dart championships Mm -hmm. or I don't know what they are but there was like this whole like outcry of like we need to get rid of the dart girls Mm -hmm. how it's sexist how dare them do this and then everybody's like we miss them <laughs> it's, an, it's an interesting conversation though because coming from a place where we both work jobs like that and I'm very sex positive I'm very feminist so I was happy to take those jobs yeah and we had a blast doing right, that I stuff I exploited myself left and right as a lot of us do you know in the LA culture you yeah know, if I could take something I mean I, I talk about this I've been a sexy clown for a job I've been, <laughs> you know you name it I've done it and um 
I had no problem with that. And I think that with people knowing that this is all just fun and it's marketing and it's promotions and it's sales and it's all these things that go into a culture that's really monetized by bigger companies and about pushing a product. If you understand and know that, I think that's fine. But I think the problem becomes when people don't understand it's a fantasy or that's part of something marketing related for a yeah. company and they do objectify a woman or they do misconstrue what that is yeah, in that moment. For sure. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're paid to be here. I'm not talking mm-hmm. to you because it's yeah. good for my health. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But at the same time though, like I had a, I had such a good time and like, I'm a trade show convention nerd, dude. Mm-hmm. And I've parlayed that into like other jobs, mm-hmm. like big, big, big jobs. And a lot of pe- girls I know that worked those jobs back then did, you know, you get in and you're doing booth babe mm-hmm. job and then you start doing some sales. I had a company I worked with 10, 15 years ago, I modeled for them and then they had me at their trade shows and I was helping them with sales and setting up the booth and, and helping them with, um, like general marketing. Yeah. And so I was doing sales and marketing and I transitioned out of being a model for them. And those are skills that I was able to utilize in other jobs that I had worked. So for sure, a lot of people that are in those positions end up collaborating with these companies, gaining more skills with whatever company it is they're working with and moving up. And yeah. having corporate jobs. Definitely. Well, speaking of like, especially like gaming booth made mm-hmm. stuff, like I worked on the launch of the Nintendo Wii mm-hmm. U gamepad um, at E3, which is a monstrous, mm-hmm. monstrous show. And I got to work with Mr. Miyamoto. Like mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. he walked in onto the trade show floor one morning really early. And I said all of two words to mm-hmm. him in Japanese. He's like, we're keeping her. <laughs> and I got to Wait, go. you speak Japanese? No, I don't. Oh, I just have okay. to know three words from the two years that I spent working there when okay. I should have known Japanese, uh-huh. but I certainly don't. And I said all of two words to him. I was like, she comes with us. <laughs> and I got to go work on like the executive floor with him mm-hmm. that I wow. then talked about in yeah. other nerd magazines. But like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to do that under really any other circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like I don't actually work, work in gaming. Like that's not my bag. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it comes from a different point. Like when you're, mm-hmm. when you've actually done those mm-hmm. jobs for sure. But I actually, this is weird. I did another podcast this morning and they were asking me about how like you tri- like you coexist in mm-hmm. these like, sec quote unquote sexy spaces mm-hmm. and like work work like regular work mm-hmm. or like stuff that's like more meaningful mm-hmm. as they say mm-hmm. and I'm like I don't think of it as like parts of my personality like it's just facets that make up one diamond you know what I mean everything is being partially exploitative or um dependent on money or creating a product so of course those jobs we did that's pretty blatant that yeah. those things are like that but I even talk to people that work in television documentaries well there's still an exploitative ap- aspect of absolutely everything that we do that's related to entertainment or where your photos taken on something or there's a company behind something that how is that also not exploitative commerce in that commerce, way? Yeah. Right. And also to the other side of it, when, you know, people say that, you know, whether it's being a model or being a performer, a dancer, or doing these things, um, is just aesthetic or it's very vapid or shallow. I actually have developed extremely meaningful relationships with the people that I've met in that period of time in my Absolutely. life. And maybe they're still doing those things. Maybe they've moved on and they're, mothers, they've gone to school, they have a different career, maybe, who knows? Yeah. But those relationships, because the women that I had worked with knew how to, I mean, we can call it the the casual term would be like hustle. Yeah. They were working seven days a week, two, three gigs a day, driving, you know, 20, 30,000 miles a year on their cars to go to all these jobs and micromanaging every little payment that comes through. And the, 
you know, the, the skill in that and the passion in that to be able to have that creative freedom, but also be able to support yourself. Yeah. Um, I find really admirable. So, so those jobs and what those people got out of them, maybe it wasn't, you know, feeding the homeless in that moment, but the, the meaningful relationships that are made and the experience that are had are, are actually, I think, very meaningful. So, you know, you can look at both sides of everything, I guess. Oh, absolutely. It's just, it's interesting to be how, um, People are like, oh, but you also do that? Like, that's so weird. <laughs> we were just, we said that before we turned the mics on when, when I, you know, I just said I, I've been in my private practice now for about seven years and, um, yeah, seven years in my practice. And I saw patients two, three years before that while I was finishing up hours for my yeah. license. So I worked at sliding scale clinics or with court mandated clients. So I've seen clients for, let's say about nine years at this point, but in the beginning I wasn't licensed. So I didn't. I didn't make any money. Yeah. So I had but to you had doing to do other jobs. Yeah. So in the world where I was working with performers and professional dancers and modeling and conventions, when I said, you know, I'm actually finishing up my hours, I have my master's degree, I'm going to do my PhD, people actually got uncomfortable, whether it was a jealousy or they were intimidated or they were just confused. Like, well, what is it? What is it? I can't put you in a box. Yeah. So uncomfortable. How, how, heaven forbid you can't be boxed. Right. Heaven right. forbid. Like, like short circuiting, like my brain can't compute this. Or then when I was in my more academic world and I'm in school and I'm, I went to Pepperdine as a more conservative school. And it, a lot of the people I went to graduate school with had the privilege and luxury of not working while they went to, mm -hmm. to school for their master's. That wasn't my situation. So when I had mentioned, you know, after class tonight at 10 PM, I'm going to go work at a nightclub until 2 AM and get up and then do my other job. They look at me confused and like, think that, you know, are you making bad decisions or are you, you know, what worlds are you in? And I'm like, Hey, I just need to make that. Mm -hmm. 200 bucks so I can keep paying my rent so yeah. I can go to school. So I actually felt like I was living these two identities and keeping both separate. So I think some might think, well, maybe you wouldn't talk about those sexy jobs or the modeling jobs around your more academic professional world. But I also didn't feel I could be open about my academic life in the more entertainment space as well. So, you know, I damned if you do damned if you right. don't. And that's, that's an experience a lot of women have. So I think this is more blatant and obvious, you know, it's, you know, go-go dancing and modeling yeah. compared to, you know, getting a, a PhD, but how many women out there also experience flavors of that in other parts of their lives? Oh yeah, you know? for sure. Like how you can't do this, but you can do you that. You can't be a working mother. Yeah. You know, I see women in my practice that have that, that get criticized for working full time, but being a mother. Oh, you know what? Too? Not that I'm like trying to have kids or anything, but like, I can't imagine. And like people that want to stay at home and be moms, like that's cool. Knock mm -hmm. yourself out. But like, I can't imagine stopping whatever mm -hmm. crunching goes on mm -hmm. in my mind, I can't imagine stopping it. I mm -hmm. think I'd die. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't mm -hmm. think I could physically do it and just mm -hmm. be like, Oh, I'm just going to take care of this kid. And mm -hmm. that's going to be my whole focus. Like, I don't think I'm, and for some people that's very fulfilling, but you know, having a multiple identities mm -hmm. you know, is, is, is an interesting way to live. And also what these cultures are a part of how they accept or don't accept these other parts of you. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's a bizarre world that we live in. Um, but anyway, so you've been practicing for seven years. How, do you see like entertainment people like in your practice? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. My office is in West Hollywood and I'm in private practice. So it's really interesting the type of clients that I see because mm -hmm. a lot of people find me through either referrals for my specialty working as a sex therapist. And, but a lot of people also find me by zip code. So if you're looking like nine zero zero six nine, right. Nine zero zero four six. Four six, yeah, four six, yeah, four okay. six is my work work uh, zip. We have the same home zip, so yeah, yeah it's a different one. Um, but yeah, when you look that up, 
because I'm in West Hollywood and I'm on Santa Monica Boulevard, a lot of therapists there are actually gay men. You totally. know, there's more gay male therapists there than there's let's more say gay in the male valley. Anything there, be, there. Yeah. Right. There'd be more female therapists. So if you're a woman or somebody that's looking for a female therapist who, um, you know, looks younger ish. And when I say younger ish, like let's say under 50, yeah. um, I'm going to be one of the first ones that come up. So I think because of that, I get a lot of skewing a little bit younger clients, clients that ones up somebody that feel more relatable. I see many clients that either are in the entertainment industry, whether they are actor model of one of those yeah. types of categories or they're behind the scenes, production director, writer. Yeah. Um, I also see a lot of people that come from privilege. West Hollywood is very expensive. It's extremely so expensive. So to be young and live there, a lot of times people come from privilege to be able to exist in that world. So yeah. I see a lot of clients who their family dynamics are related to privilege or having a very successful family member, maybe a famous family member. Um, so maybe my whole practice isn't full of like Brad Pitt's, but you yeah. know, maybe, you know, Brad Pitt's cousin or, yeah. you know, and what, how that changes the family dynamic and the life in Los Angeles and whatever career they're in. Totally. So it's, it's really interesting to see the, the demographic of people that come to my office because of where I'm located and my specialty. Yeah. How did you arrive at wanting to be a sex therapist? Well, who wouldn't want to be a sex therapist? <laughs> I mean, I have the coolest job ever. Um, I was always interested in like feminist psychology. So you know, there's a lot of overlap between gender studies, women's studies, feminist psychology, and sexuality. I mean, they really just overlap on our freedoms and abilities to be who we are and be our authentic selves as women. So I think that even as a like adolescent, I was really interested in those studies. Actually, um, today, Elizabeth Wurzel passed away. She mm -hmm. was the author of Prozac Nation. Yeah, that yeah. was a big trending topic this morning. It, yeah, it's a really big book. That book really affected me, but I mean... Oh, what year did that come out? 94, 95. I was 13, 14 years old. That was a really impactful book for me. So how we as women navigate the world being sexual figures, having our own depressions and anxieties, how culture affects us. So that transitioned more into overall just interest in sexuality and the lack of therapists that even understand anything. Um, yeah. in, our, in our master's program, we have one unit of sexuality education, and that is not enough to go beyond, you know, how married couples are intimate. You know, the, the textbook for the sexuality class at my college that was a very well-known master's program for therapists is, it is called expensive? Passionate Marriage. Like, <laughs> what if you want to have sex outside of a marriage? Like, what is So if this is the textbook, then what is that telling these students that maybe come from a more conservative background, it's a more expensive school, the demographic of people that might be attracted to the Pepperdine program might not be the more liberal, feminist-minded people just because of the school, you yeah. know? So then you have all these therapists released out into the world that really just don't have a background or the, the ability, yeah. the training to work with a client that's a sex worker or a client that is bisexual and is exploring what that means for their monogamous relationship. So the things that are very common issues that people are shameful to talk about, most therapists are just aren't equipped unless they've sought out additional training or expertise. Yeah. So that's what I did. I know you've interviewed Nicoletta before. Yeah. She's um, Yeah, we talked about that like yeah. one unit of <laughs> one unit, right? And she's there's very few schools that provide additional education specifically in sexuality and she picked one of them and is finishing up her PhD right now at Widener University, which is one of the but that's in Philadelphia. Yeah. My hometown. But <laughs> I'm like, oh, I wish I did that one because I could go back home and hang out with my family. Uh, but, you know, there's very few schools and um, with curriculums that do anything extra. So you really have to seek out a community of sex therapists and join organizations, associations, writing, being involved in these things. So it takes a lot extra of energy. Self 
than just taking like a class in trauma. Yeah, just you getting know? your degree and right, doing and, your hours. Right, doing continuing education credits or something like that. So very quickly, because of my expertise and my background, I then became the person that went into Pepperdine and was doing in-services with their therapist students because of my background. So, I mean, within a year or two after graduation, I was teaching their students about sex therapy and about the clients that could come in and be interested in, in that type of work. So um, very quickly, I was validated a lot for my background, which I think is great, but that's part of the problem is we don't have enough of that. So yeah, um, there's like, more of it happening now, but yeah, it's not. It's it's definitely a rare thing though. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's not just a run of the mill. Like I um, I finalized today. I'm starting the first um, sex worker process group therapy group. Um, there's none that exist in LA. None, zero. And this which one, is wild because Sepulveda. Right. <laughs> well, that's a different type of sex worker. Uh, the, there's a nonprofit I work with called Pineapple Supports. Nicoletta also works with Pineapple Support, and um, they subsidize mental health services for performers in the adult industry. Mm-hmm. But now with um, OnlyFans and webcam and all these things, most people that do a type of like sex work, like escorting or stripping, are also doing on-camera things because you can just be your own boss. Why yeah. would you not do that? take advantage of these opportunities. So most people are considered adult performers because they do things on camera in addition to maybe off camera. So I'm starting that in February and hopefully it'll be a quarterly thing where I'll do eight weeks where it's the same people that come in and just kind of get support from other people in that industry because they're, why do we not have something like this? Because we yeah. have so many people that work in that industry in this town. Tons. So, mm-hmm. the, uh, well, the whole valley. <laughs> the valley. I mean, you, now it's, it's everywhere because you can yeah. be... Well, that that's a very old school way to think because that was when porn was like filmed, right? Yeah. That's when there were, you know, Vivid doesn't even do porn anymore. That's when Vivid was filming. They were like high-end porn. They'd run mm. out mansions in the valley or these houses. Yeah. And, you know, you drive down the street. Little do you know there's like gangbangs happening and like behind <laughs> every cute little closed cottage looking door. But now because of the change in the industry where people are their own bosses, just like you're able to do a podcast like wherever you want, wherever you know, you, like it, yeah. you can also do porn wherever you want. <laughs> you can film things with your phone and upload them to webcam sites. You can make clips with, you know, literally your camera phone and sell them online. And if you have a following, make money and be your own boss. Well, the Australia, the girl oh. sold her pictures for Australia fires. <laughs> that went viral. I mean, yeah, her accounts all got shut down, but she's now famous. Yeah. I mean, she knew what she was doing. Yeah. So not only was she working for a good cause, but she knows PR. koalas, yeah. Yeah, she, yeah, <laughs> really. But it's interesting because that story got so sensationalized. I've seen it all over the place. Yeah. Right? People are screenshotting it, putting it on Instagram, Facebook. It's on Apple News, the whole thing. It's hilarious. But every article actually says something different. She made $100,000 for Australia. She made 75000 She made 10000 Wait, how much money does this girl make? Doesn't matter. Does it, is she even <laughs> a real person? Like, what is this? It, it's so sensationalized. Oh, because yeah. not only that she would do this, which, I mean, good for her. If you're going to do that anyway, might, might as well make some money for charity. I think yeah. I'm going to shake her hand. Um, but that her accounts got shut down because of the SESTA-FOSTA laws, which restrict sex workers and how they present themselves. And what that does in turn is it ends up putting people in the closet and hiding them, but these things are still going on. Yeah, they still happen. So this girl is still going to be doing nudes for money. Do you want her doing nudes for money in a way that is donating to charity? She's not violating anyone. She's not accessing children with her nudes. It's all consensual and you know, adult behavior. So do you want to hide that and still have it go on and have it be more shady and dangerous, or do you want to make it okay to talk about in public. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they cover for pedophiles. They cover mm-hmm. for kitty porn mm-hmm. producers. Like, mm-hmm. they'll shut this girl down, but mm-hmm. yeah, we've got 
<laughs> right, look at the, the culture in, yeah. in Hollywood. So, yeah, there's obviously some pretty big cultural issues that people would be so offended that somebody's showing a nipple and donating money. You know, I think... Uh, I think what this girl did was really cool. I think she used her popularity and her what she was already doing. What she was already doing. She yeah. harnessed the power of what she was already doing. Right. Yeah. I have a question for you, though. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is a little off the beaten path, but I want to know what you think about it. So there is that whole thing of, like, girl, like girls on Instagram are, like, selling nudes, like, mm -hmm. as texts and stuff like that. Is that... I have a theory on this, so let me know mm -hmm. if I'm right or not. But I, is it like something like the guys are pretending like this girl is like texting them for free? Is that the? No matter what, it's validating. I mean, mm -hmm. when you get a lap dance at a strip club, you know you're paying for the lap dance, but in your mind, this is your hot girlfriend or your one night stand that's doing this just for you. Yeah. So you know, as much as we know that's just a fantasy, I've talked to many men that think man, that stripper really liked me. <laughs> like, no, you paid her $40. It was two minutes. And then they she left. And then she forgot you existed yeah. because that's her job and mm -hmm. that's just what she's doing. So as much as I want to believe that people know that this is all a fantasy, a lot of people really don't. And it plays into the idea of loneliness and the need for validation from beautiful women. Um, but I also don't think it's a problem unless it becomes a problem. Yeah. Um, hey, and all the guys that are listening to this podcast, what you need to know is most of the time who's texting you these photos or these messages from this hot babe, it's probably not the hot babe. I have friends that do this. No, it's And they have a dude <laughs> manager that comes and takes all their photos and writes back all the texts. Hey, babe, thinking about you. Here's a picture you might like. Send me a tip. And it's a dude. Or I have a couple I'm friends with, uh, the one, their lesbian couple. The one is the sex worker model, and mm. the other one is her partner, and her yeah. partner manages all those accounts. Like, you're getting her wife, not her. Yeah. Like, this is not Some the might pay extra for that. Right. <laughs> well, depending on what they're interested in. But, yeah, but it's, it's, uh, it's all fantasy. And if you know it's a fantasy and you know you're paying for a fantasy, and fantasies are really fun, I think that's awesome. But the problem is when people believe that it's real and feel disappointed that it's not, or they don't engage in healthy relationships, relationships. because they are so involved in a fantasy Same. world, and that it can, that can be quite destructive. So as long as you know it's a fantasy and you're being playful with your fantasy, cool. Then sure. And I'm all about these girls monetizing, you know, being their own bosses. I think it, that's great, um, just depending on how they navigate that. Yeah. That's very interesting. Okay, so in the world of Me Too and Hollywood specifically, mm -hmm. how has that? Because this has been you've been practicing for seven years, and mm -hmm. this whole Me Too thing has been public knowledge right? for this two happening years. Since I've been, yeah, yeah, since I've been doing two my job. years, has that affected your practice as a therapist? Um, I see not now, but right. What was that like three years ago? Right when this really got to its peak. Mm -hmm. um, I saw female clients that would be really triggered by all the things going on in the news that would want to talk about their sexual assaults, whether it was Me Too Hollywood related or, or a just, job they yeah. had or a trauma or a rape. And it really was activating for a lot of people who were victims or had situations where they felt like were ambiguous. Like, wait, was I a victim? Yeah. How do I navigate that? Am I, do I, am I just feeling shame? Am I, was I a victim? Should I do something about this thing that happened to me? I did see it mobilize women that were victims in the past to say, you know what, I'm going to finally take a stand. And I don't even care if this person's brought to justice or not. I'm going to maybe write them an email or I'm going to contact an authority or contact a lawyer. So it was mobilizing, which is good. Yeah. And I also saw typically male identifying clients that um, either had done things they needed to process through or were accused and hadn't done things. Or, you know, I had a client I was working with that was um, polyamorous, very open polyamorous, very ethical, 
but because they saw a lot of people and the other people weren't familiar with the ethics behind polyamorous relationships, they felt wronged when he wouldn't be their boyfriend yeah. or, you know, things that are, you know, maybe uncomfortable things about dating in an open relationship. Um, and they, you know, he was ganged up on on Twitter and was was very traumatized by this, this dynamic. So having, um, having clients that were able to mobilize and take action and feel empowered by what the support they got from that movement was really wonderful. And at the same time, there were situations where people were accosted or bullied online because of our online culture, yeah. which I think online culture just in general is a whole other problem. That is a problem. Um, so I saw a lot of it. Now I feel like it's made it just more acceptable to be more open when you feel like something's not right. I think that we have settled into maybe a more healthy space with it. Um, whereas before I think that two sides, two extremes were happening. So yeah, yeah I'm seeing a lot of people affected by it. Polarized. That's interesting that you say that because I haven't got to talk about that in the show. Like the, the news cycle being triggering for people in their personal lives, even if they don't have anything to do with it. Right. I mean, I, I felt triggered or activated by that time too. And I would just reflect on, you know, what intimate situations in my life maybe have more of a power dynamic than I was aware of in the past. And it really made me more reflective in that moment. So I'm sure that was happening for a lot of people, but yeah, the news in general, whether it was me too related or not, um, can be really problematic. I've been talking to this with some clients lately, you know, back, back in the day, um, you used to read the newspaper once a week. And so let's say the fires in Australia, you might read this article, you would see a couple of photos, you would be touched by it, maybe you'd want to donate, um, you'd be aware, but it would be in maybe, let's say, the Sunday paper, mm -hmm. or on the evening news, and you would be affected by it, but then you would also still be able to engage in your life because you wouldn't be bombarded. Now, between Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and online news on your phone and notifications, you cannot escape the images of the things that are very upsetting in the world. It is a constant bombardment all the time, which yeah. requires you to then set boundaries on how you engage in like these digital messages about how terrible things are and with all between Australia and the issue with Iran right now. Um, I'm working with a lot of people that come in and they're overwhelmed with anxiety and overwhelmed with sadness about these two current events that are really scary and you can still, you need to still get up and go to work. Yeah. You need to still engage with your partner. Nobody has time. Yeah. Right. And go to jobs and eat food and, and go to sleep at night. But it's, it can be so overwhelming because there's so much information that's accessible and in your face. And if you're on your phone all day, it's very difficult to separate yourself from, you know, thousands of pictures of sad burn koalas. Like it yeah. is heartbreaking. If you go down that wormhole, you're probably just going to sit in the corner and cry. Yeah. So how do we set those boundaries with still validating things that are upsetting in the world, understanding how we can support those things and be aware of those things and still be healthy individuals? So I think that that's a, it's a new, new problem. It's a new problem. It's a new it's problem when I work with people that are, let's say, in their early or mid-20s. Mm -hmm. That's a life they've always known. They don't know different. But being like, I'm in my late 30s, so... You know, I, can't, I grew up with all the digital technology, but it was really coming about as I was a, a young adult. Yeah. So, like, I can see the before and after and how that's really changed our culture. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think uh, in my early 30s, mm -hmm. thinking about how, like, when we were kids, like, none of that stuff existed. And then as we got to be teenagers, we got to, got to be, like, the first people to, like, mm -hmm. use this and, like, set what the etiquette is for, like, that right. kind of a situation. Mm -hmm. And everybody else has to, you know, follow behind. But... 
that that dynamic in there of like mm -hmm. knowing how to use that and knowing how to deal with all of that constant mm -hmm. inundation mm -hmm. of this person's in the news, that person's in the news, this tragedy, that tragedy, mm -hmm. and it's all negative stuff. Mm -hmm. Like constant, like mm -hmm. constant, constant, constant. When constant, I look constant. through even Apple News and I scroll down, I just feel gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, exploited, tragic event, tragic event, burned koalas. Oh, by the way, dresses at award shows. I'm like, why are these two articles even next to each other? What's happening? <laughs> you know, and then reality show people. It's like, I just don't want to look at this. This is so, no rhyme or reason to uh, end You know, I'll chaos. check in with what's going on because I need to know in the world. I also need to know for clients that come in that want to discuss things that are happening and how it might affect them. Um, I also work with clients that could be in the news that whether it's positive or negative and I need to kind of just yeah. be aware of the world a little bit, but then I have to shut it off because I don't think it's healthy to constantly engage in that. Yeah. No, definitely. And the thing is like you over, like most of it, you can't do anything about it. No, you can't do, you have no control. I mean, well, ultimately you don't have control over most yeah. things in your life. Yeah. You can control how you can react and respond to personal or international cultural situations, but you can't change anything. You can only change how you engage with things. How you feel right. about it. So you can shut off the news. You can choose where and how you want to get news. You can choose how much or if you engage in Instagram, but you can't change anything else. So that's, you're just stuck with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, that's, you know, and we all want to have these illusions of control in the world that we engage in, but really we just have no control. There's my favorite book is um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, and he was a physician and he was in a concentration camp in the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a book about this experience and also how he's then realized that you know I couldn't control my situation. I didn't know my wife or my family were even alive. I'm in this work camp. I'm losing weight. I'm unhealthy. I thought I was going to die. And I could still then choose how I wanted to interact with the people around me, how I had feelings about hope and faith, how I reflected on love. So even in the most dire circumstance, you can still choose how you perceive the world around you and how you engage in the world around you, even if you have no control over what's happening to you. Just get in your own zone. Mm -hmm. um, so now that Harvey, it's an interesting week for hashtag me too, because Car Harvey's been getting charged in New York and doing mm -hmm. trials in New York. And as of yesterday, he got charged in LA mm -hmm. and it's like a hundred women against Harvey Weinstein and mm -hmm. like all of this situation. Um, but I want to take it back to like the whole, when he first, this first happened, he was like, I grew up in the sixties and seventies when you could do this stuff basically. And it was okay. Mm -hmm. Um, have you been talking to like any men that have felt mm -hmm. a certain type of way about how, Oh, you can't do that anymore. It's like, no, nah, you weren't supposed to do that anyway, but not really the clients I see, I don't really have anybody that kind of falls into that, um, into a Harvey Weinstein <laughs> category. <laughs> well, I mean, not necessarily Harvey in general, but like, I feel but, like there's a lot of men that are feel slighted these days. It's like, oh, well, you can't do that I anymore. I more online or friends. Usually when I talk to friends that are not in my professional world, um, you know, that will make comments like that. And I'll say, whoa, 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 hold on. Hang on a second. Let's talk about that for a second. And, you know, I think that, that, you know, we see even with Joe Biden, like how he's just a little friendly and a little touchy and huggy. And, and that's just not something you can do anymore. And our culture has changed and we're more aware of these things. Um, but I hear of men having that type of response that 
and just general confusion sometimes yeah. too. Like, wait, I can't do this. Everyone's anymore. very confused. I can't slap my secretary on the butt. I mean, that's very old school. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the the fifties and the sixties mentality. Yeah. And even though that was a product of the culture, you also have to understand when culture changes. Yeah. And and what that means for you as an individual. So right now the culture has changed very rapidly and it's shifted and people are more aware, more woke. Yeah. Feels <laughs> so hip. Feels so hip. But now that that's happened, you cannot behave that way. And maybe that was culturally acceptable at a point in time. Maybe it wasn't just you. Maybe you were going along with what was acceptable, but that is not the case now. Anymore. And, um, you know, Harvey Weinstein has really become the face of yeah. this phenomenon. I call him the sacrificial lamb. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Yes, he did things that were of poor judgment and bad ethics and of bad taste and our culture rapidly shifted and he is really the figure of this. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I look at, I, I don't know, I'm not an optimist, but I do look at everything as an opportunity, an opportunity for individual growth and for cultural growth. And he's in a position where he really has an opportunity to turn things around for himself and for our culture and how he engages in his defense and his response to what's happening. So it'll be interesting to see how this continues to play out. Yeah, because it's not going anywhere. Like, no. I, I would say over the past year, people have been asking me, like, when is this going to stop? When is this going to end? And it's like, it's not. It's and there are people that going. are on his level of attention that have had, whether it's like a Me Too or has done something in poor taste. And with the way our media is now, they jump all over this stuff. Yeah. And there have been people that have, you know, taken a step back, gotten out of the light, the spotlight taken some personal inventories and changed their behaviors. And, yeah. you know, that is possible. People can change. So I think we also have to be very careful on how we view people and how we vilify them um, to be terrible, bad people. We're all yeah. just people trying to figure out how to navigate life. Um, there are exceptions when people are antisocial or uh, personality disorder where they want to harm people and they don't have empathy, but that's a very small amount of the population. Yeah, I don't believe team. Harvey Weinstein is an antisocial sociopath person. No. Um, so we have to be careful. He's how done we way build. too much hanging around. <laughs> to yeah. he, you know, and that we, we really vilify people. So let's try to remember that when we want to talk badly about whether it's a celebrity that's being portrayed by the media or somebody we know we don't like, um, that we're all people trying to navigate what this experience will be for us. So totally. And like the media skews it the way that is going to make, get them clicks. Yeah. Like if they don't, which is a reason why this show was born is mm -hmm. because they put out these articles and like they would gloss over stuff or leave out major, major components mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be. I'm like, no, hang on a second. Let's dial mm -hmm. it back. Right. Let's dial it back and really think about what's happening and what this means for all people involved and really reflect. Like I said, we don't control what's going on with Harvey Weinstein, but how does that affect us? Why are we interested in this? Why are you as a person interested in this situation, this culture? Is it triggering for you? Is it bringing something up from your own past? I mean, really we, we are very, um, self-involved individuals. Absolutely. We want to believe that we're so empathetic and we're altruistic, but really, you know, the Harvey Weinstein resonates so much with people and especially with women and some men because it reminds us of a power dynamic that maybe we didn't speak up about or that we felt harmed by at some yeah. point. It's pushing on a soft spot for a lot of people or men that were, you know, accused of something at some point. Well, Hey, why'd that happen? So it, it's, it's triggering for a lot of people and that's why we're like so interested in it. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's a, it's a trigger machine. Like it just mm -hmm. keeps, it keeps mm -hmm. feeding mm -hmm. itself. Like yeah. my personal 
Like, and it's also look, it's it's a very it's a Hollywood story. It's a yeah, glamorous, it's very sexed up, and it's very he is up. really unattractive. And if imagine if he was really hot, it would be a different type of news story. So oh, I think it's I mean, very look at easy. The, like the James Franco thing is kind yeah. of the same. Mm-hmm. Like you have pretty well the same thing on paper, but it's completely different. Right. If Harvey different. Weinstein was a hot babe, I wonder how this would change things. Yeah. Or if the actresses or the people that he had been harmful to were not attractive, A-list, glamorous women. Yeah, well, I mean, the the article that came out in um, Teen Vogue this last mm-hmm. week was kind of more about, like, uh, like Sarah Ann Massey, for example, who was interviewing to be his nanny. Mm-hmm. Like, not an A-list actress. It was not Kate Blanchett being sent to his to- hotel room by her agent, William Morris. Who's... Mm-hmm. But it's still a vulnerable young woman. Oh yeah. And so we like these, we like these stories. We eat them up because mm-hmm. it's the vulnerable woman and the villain male and yeah. it's glamorous and it's Hollywood and it's, you know, it's a story just like every other that we, I'd like to believe that if it was a, you know, attractive woman and an unattractive male and they weren't Hollywood people, that it would be the same level of, um, you know, circumstance, circumstance or, or, or consequences. But unfortunately I don't think that's our culture. And so I think that this is so salacious and that's yeah. why it's being eaten up and then ultimately becomes very triggering for people. But, um, you know, the dynamic of the age and the gender and all these considerations with this make it all the demographics that exciting for people yeah, too, that come so. into, come into play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then I think, um, I think like the like the machine because there's different Me Too movements throughout the world. Like mm-hmm. I just talked to Me Too Ethiopia yesterday, mm-hmm. <laughs> or like there's Me Too France, there's Me Too India, there's all these places. And when I was doing the, um, I did a, the Female Filmmaker Fuse Festival. Mm-hmm. We did like a Me Too mm-hmm. panel or whatever, and they, everybody involved in these court cases felt like so downtrodden and how they weren't making a difference, mm-hmm. and it was like ruining their lives to do this, mm-hmm. and they weren't getting any like not saying not getting anything out of it, but like nothing's changing. Like it's all just still the same. And it's like, no, wait a second. Like if you look at like what it sparked across the world there has been a shift. And this was definitely a cultural shift that went to an extreme and now has kind of settled to, Hey, well, this just isn't right. Like these things just can't happen anymore. Yeah. And so it's not as everyone, it's not as loud maybe as it felt a few years ago, but there is definitely a cultural shift. And, oh, for sure. you know, whether it's, you know, writers rooms, wanting more women, having more female voices, having more females on set, men being aware of that and including more women so that these environments aren't happening as much. There is definitely a shift. And, you know, you see it to another extreme where they're almost like, I don't know, you look at something like Star Wars yeah. where you have um, the new Star Wars movie and you have the you wonder, would they have put this female in this role if the culture hasn't changed? So they wanted to kind of maybe capitalize on, yeah. on this on the culture. Trend. Yeah. Um, and then if you look at something like The Mandalorian, which came out, I'm kind of geeky and I'm not a big <laughs> Star Wars person, but I, I do really like The I, Mandalorian. is an amazing show, show. But it showed a woman that, yes, is attractive, but is a professional. I think she's an MMA fighter. And she says there's a quote where she's like, I don't do babies. Like, she's not maternal. She's very strong. So it wasn't like a forced female role. Mm-hmm. But you see this dichotomy happening where there are more visibility. There's more visibility of female roles being strong and not traditional and what that sense that you've seen before and but that yet there's still like well, let's just put a, like a woman in this because that'll make it more marketable so you see yeah. that too so there's all these good and bad things that are happening with it's a time of experimentation right of what's going to work and ultimately as i said 
I think the entertainment industry is absolutely exploiting the Me Too movement yeah. for profit and whatever. Well, yeah, but that I mean, happens it's, it's headquarered at CAA for a right. reason. They were going to let this go go by right. without getting in the mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Um, that would just be... But ultimately, I, I think the culture has changed and still is changing and evolving. And, and we're seeing that in a lot of, whether it's news articles, our own lives, the way film and TV are presented. So... You know, I think we're in a better space than we were a couple years ago, and how that's being managed and handled by the world. But yeah, so, but there's, I mean, there's always going to be a lot of work to do. You know, and it's it's interesting how these like sensationalized shifts then settle and create a cultural change that has it echoing for decades after. I was watching a documentary last night about um, birth control being introduced in small villages in Africa and how. Even though at the time it didn't really cause a big difference, you're looking at a 20 years ahead and that villages that had birth control um, allowed women to seek more education, to have more freedom and flexibility, to not feel like they had to be stuck with one man. And overall, the culture, not just the women, people, couples were making more money, had better homes, their children had more education, and ultimately the women were living longer. So yeah. we didn't know that for 20 years. So I'm curious of how the Me Too movement explosion and then the settling of it and the progression of it will affect us in 10 or 20 years. Yeah. Like maybe are women going to live longer? Who knows? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what the repercussion of a small change or, you know, ultimately it is a small change in the scheme yeah. of the world. But um, the ripple. The ripple effect and what that will be. So I'm excited to watch and like kind of just listen and see how that <laughs> observe out. and take yeah. notes in your therapist's yeah. pad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm creepy. Like I just like watching hmm, what's happening here. <laughs> I'm watching it all. I'm paying attention. Um, yeah, but it'll be exciting to see how it continues to progress. How well? I wonder if anybody is going to live longer. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I think the, I think the amount of justice getting sought. Well, the more is really... resources we have as people and as women, the the healthier we can be. Yeah. So if we are constantly being traumatized or put in posi- positions where we're disempowered, that's going to create higher cortisol in our bodies and stress hormones, and maybe people will be more likely to drink, smoke, use drugs, not yeah. care for themselves. So, yeah, it sounds far fetched to be like we're going to live longer if there's this Me Too movement, Harvey Weinstein, and but the ultimate effects of stress and empowerment or disempowerment in survival will affect your lifespan. Yeah. So. Yes, I think that, you know, this ultimately is, it's not far-fetched to think something like that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Especially if, like, you know, if you can, especially work-wise and, like, supporting Mm. yourself. Because we do live in a Western culture where everybody works. Mm -hmm. It's not Mm -hmm. just half the population. Mm -hmm. Everybody goes to work. Mm -hmm. Everybody, everybody, everybody. And you have to be able to support yourself Mm -hmm. in some way, shape, Mm -hmm. or form. And if you are inhibited by... Like, well, if I take that job, it's going to be like this, or mm-hmm. I can't even get that job. There's no way. Like, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. power structure is not going to even mm-hmm. allow for that. Mm-hmm. Then what? Mm-hmm. It's good for the economy, if anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's interesting to see what happens, though. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. Yeah. No yeah. Filter Friday. We've been meaning to do this forever. Yeah. And we did it. We did it. We did it. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Oh, um, what's your, are you on like Instagram or what's yeah, your practice Yeah, I have, name? Um, yeah, my practice is just my name, Dr. Amy Harwick. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I have a website, but it's like an online business card, so not very exciting, dramyharwick.com. And I'm on Instagram, Dr. Amy Harwick. Amy is A-M-I-E. And I also have a YouTube that will have, you know, every periodically I put up like mental health videos on 
tips on managing stress and information about sexuality. So you can go down that wormhole anytime. Can't have too you. many of those. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that is enough uh, uh, No Filter Friday on Public House Media. I will see you all next week.